Jesus is the reason we are here today. So last week we didn't get very far in Acts chapter 18, and we're going to go back to it today. We're going to try to get a little bit further. So if you have your Bible, please turn there. And um, Acts has been really fun thus far. We've learned um, just kind of the furthering and the expansion of God creating um, cre- creating and establishing his church. So um, let's just go back to verse 1 here in Acts chapter 18. All right. As you're there, here we go. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome, Paul went to see them. And because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. So last week we talked about Paul and how he's a normal man and how what he ended up doing is using his tent making as a reason or as access to be able to preach the word um, wherever he went, right? So what I was trying to share with you last week is all of us are tent makers, amen? Now, does that mean that you literally make a tent? No, but what it means is you're God's representative wherever you are. That, that he's created you and, um, yeah, he's created you in such a way that there's certain things that you can do that pastors can't. And one of the examples that I gave was, I can go to Bed Bath and beyond, right? But just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean that I get to go beyond. <laughs> I, have to be a, I have to work there as a tent maker And I really want to raise my hand this high, but I still can't get my shoulder up. So it's just like really weird. I'm not provided access to those areas. But as tent makers, you guys can, right? Wherever you are, God has called you to be his representative. And I believe that in Acts chapter 18, Paul was using tent making as as, um, his access to preach the good news. But who did he do that with? He did that with Aquila and Priscilla. Could you imagine if you were a guy and your name was Aquila? I don't know if that would be fun. If any of you guys have named your son Aquila, I'm sorry. Or if your middle name as a man is Aquila, I'm also sorry. But we have Aquila and Priscilla here, which, which are two important people when it comes to marriage and relationships. When it comes to life in ministry, this couple is mentioned six times in the Bible. And not one of them's ever mentioned independently. In Acts 18, they're mentioned three times. They're mentioned in Romans 16:3. They're mentioned in 1 Corinthians 16 and then uh, 2 Timothy. What's really unique about this couple is Priscilla's name is always used, or sorry, not always. Priscilla's name is used four times first. That's not common during that time. So if you were to refer to Macy and I, most of the time people say Joey and Macy. Or if you're to refer to Lyndon and Charlene, it's usually Lyndon and Charlene. If it's uh, Mark and Phyllis, it's always Phyllis and Mark. <laughs> always. <laughs> I'm just making it plain. <laughs> He'll get me back eventually. <laughs> yeah, no Christmas, no Chipotle this year. <laughs> Priscilla is usually mentioned before Aquila. Was it because she had greater financial status? Was it because she had greater social status? I don't know. But there was a calling on this couple, and there was a calling on her life as well. 
Was it because she was a better teacher? And you say, wait a second. She taught. She did teach. Priscilla helped teach within the Bible. So um, we're just going to take a quick jump to Acts 18, verse 26. I'll read it for you. It should be on the screen. And this scripture right here is actually referring to Apollos. So he, Apollos, began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla, her first, and Aquila heard him, they invited him into their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. So what they realized as a couple is that maybe Apollos is really passionate, but he doesn't quite get the whole picture. So Aquila and Priscilla, or in this context, Priscilla and Aquila, invite him into their home, and they teach him the word more adequately. I believe that she was teaching. It's really unique that God wanted to highlight their togetherness, though. Six times in Scripture, they're mentioned, and six times they're always together. Togetherness. And what I say is this is, marriage is tough. Amen? I just made it a lot tougher in Miller's house, too. Because I did see Phyllis's head get really big. She's like, finally someone recognizes it. Someone finally understands. This young pastor really gets it. He's, he's preaching truth. <laughs> marriage is tough. Relationships are tough. But if the goal within that marriage, if the goal within that relationship is the appropriate goal and the same goal, that's going to help. They worked hard together as tent makers, this couple. They faced hard times together as we just read that they were exiled, right? Claudius commanded all the Jews to leave. And when life got hard, this couple didn't quit. They pressed into the goal. They ministered together. As I already said, they corrected Apollos. They studied the word together. And the ability to serve together speaks to a marriage growing in maturity in the Lord. Finally, they had an attitude of service together. They wanted to serve the Lord and they wanted to serve leadership. And they wanted that to be about serving Jesus and serving leadership, not them. They traveled extensively with Paul, which reveals to them, or reveals to us, that they were serious about the mission that God's called them on. This wasn't when Paul just, when we just stumbled upon Paul, we'll shack him up for a few nights. They had a heart to serve God's mission. So they traveled with Paul. And if you were to do a study on them, you would never see bullying, fighting, or jockeying for position. They came alongside Paul to help propel what God was doing. It wasn't about them, but it was about serving. I don't even see where it was about their family. It was about God. Romans 16.3. This is Paul, um, his letter to Romans. In Romans Here's what he says. Greet Pris Priscilla, she's first again, and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. They risked their lives as a couple for Paul. And he was grateful of it. A couple that came together that said, God's mission is my mission. And I believe most couples get in trouble today because they focus on the offense rather than the calling that God has placed 
in their life. You want to know what? God uses Macy sometimes to work something in me that I don't want worked in myself. I'm serious. Like, not even being patronizing about it. Like, God uses Macy to help me become more of a man of God. And there's things that I think might actually be Macy, but I think it's God. When I take a step back and I say, yeah, like, that frustrates me, but God's in it, and I see how I'm growing, and we still have the same mission, I'm thankful for that. And I think that if, if, my, if I focused on the offense rather than where God was, then we wouldn't ever move anywhere, right? The focus should never be upon the disagreement, but the focus should be on what God may be doing with us as a couple and where he's leading us. So we start to become a wreck when we focus on the offense. So talking about Aquila and Priscilla, I usually say the guy's name first. I just realized that um, I've seen a new, uh, like, number, like, n- just a numerous amount of friends deal with, with problems within their relationships the past five years. So what I wanted to do is just all close our eyes as we talk about Priscilla and Aquila. And we want to be fully engaged with God in this moment with where we are within our relationships. And I'm just going to pray and you guys pray, and you ask that he's going to help, help your marriage and your relationships to be fully focused on him. Amen? Let's just do that right now. Father, we come to you, and as we're just reminded of, you know, what a godly marriage looks like, I ask that, that you would help us, that you would help me, that um, you would help us as a community focus on you within our marriages, to be fully engaged, to lay our lives down, to trust you. Father, I pray that you would uh, pull back all the lies from the enemy. Father, that you would um, bring peace and understanding. May your power, Father, be known within us. Just the resurrection power of Jesus Christ to say we're sorry, to make amends, to move forward, to have you as the goal. In Jesus' name, amen. And where we stopped last week was verse five. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. And I remember telling you last week that um, Paul had um, received resources. So I just wanted to take you to that scripture real quick. 2 Corinthians eleven nine. And when I was with you and needed something, I was not a burden to anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied what I needed. I have kept myself from being a burden to you in any way and will continue to do so. So Paul was saying, hey, look, my dudes, they got some resources, they brought those resources, and now they're supporting me in ministry so that what I can do is solely preach the word so I can solely further um, the church. So that's what he did. Paul's now preaching and building the church up in Corinth. So now, verse 6, as we take one more verse further than last week. But when they opposed Paul, so he's preaching, right? So when they opposed Paul and uh, became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood is on your own heads, and I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And when I read that, I get kind of excited. And here's why I get excited, because the flesh in me wants to say, whenever I receive opposition or whenever someone becomes abusive, I tried to do it again, 
abusive, or I don't like what they're doing to me, I'm just going to check out. You know what? Blood's on you. That's not what's happening here. I can't use this as an excuse just to give up and leave people whenever I want to leave them. There was something more going on here. And the abuse, actually, based upon um, the study that I did, wasn't physical abuse. It wasn't, um, it, yeah, it just wasn't punching and beating and lashing and whipping. This was a different kind of abuse. And this... Um, when I did some, when I looked at the Greek word, it was Strong's word G987. G987, when you go to the website. But it was the word blasphemeo. So blasphemeo is to speak reproachfully, to rail at, to blaspheme, to revile, verbally abuse, to calumniate, to utter mal- uh, maliciously false statements, charges, or imputations about. So what wasn't happening to Paul here is he wasn't being beat up by the Jews. But they were being verbally aggressive towards who Jesus was and the message that Paul was bringing. I know a lot of people who say, I'll never use God's name in vain. And then there's people um, who are slanderous and they say GD this and GD that, right? I don't know if that's what was going on here. I, I doubt it was. I think it was probably even greater than that. But the people must have been making mockery of who Paul was saying Jesus was. And Paul wasn't having it. That was the line for him. That was it. He said, you know what? If that's the way you're going to speak about this Jesus, if that's what you're going to say about him, if, if you're just going to be this way towards the message that I'm bringing, then I'm out. Not going to do it. The blood's on you. I'm coming to present you truth in your heart. What was being revealed here is that the Jew's heart was so far from being receptive of what the message was that God wanted to bring. And remember, uh, we, we talked about this last week. When we preach the good news, the way that I see it is this, is there's three responses that can happen, and two-thirds of those responses are good for us. The first response is the people can repent. That's good for us. If we preach the gospel and people repent, that's great. The next one is they might have more questions. That's good for us as Christians if people we're preaching to have more questions. And then the next one is they can reject it, right? Of the three responses, two of them work in our favor. Paul is experiencing some rejection right here. It was strongly rejected. So you know what Paul ended up doing? He went from the Jews to the Gentiles But right before he did that, Paul made a significant statement by shaking his clothes off and saying, blood's on you. Blood's on your heads. So this idea of shaking the clothes off comes from the Greek word, um, ektenoso. And this is to shake off so that something adhering shall fall. By this symbolic act, a person expresses extreme content for another and refuses to have any further dealings with them, to shake off for the cleansing of one's self. This was Paul rejecting their rejection of him. He said, I'm just done. Your heart is just not even close to there. And you know what I say to myself is, um, not anything to do with just thought that came to my mind, is where would I be some days when it, if I were sitting under Paul's teachings? There is this tendency within our human nature to always make us the hero. 
I would be Priscilla and I would be Aquila. I wouldn't be Priscilla. I'd be Aquila. (laughs) Now, in the Miller's house, (laughs) I'm sorry, Mark, I love you. I really do. I'll quit. I ask myself this question. Where's my heart if I were sitting under Paul's message? Would would I be blaspheming? No. Would I um, be rejecting the message? Probably not. But would I be willing to get up and move immediately? I don't know. God's desiring a church that completely trusts him with everything. And I realize within myself that I need a lot more God in my life and a lot more surrender because there's still areas that I hold back. So Paul strongly uh, rebukes the rejection of of them. And this idea reminds me of Matthew um, 7, 6. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls before swine. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and um, turn you into pieces. So why am I going to throw $100 bills before pigs? Why am I going to throw $100 bills in front of my dog? He doesn't know what to do with them. He actually ripped, I think it was a hundo once. He ripped a hundo. I got a birthday present. It was a hundo dollar bill. And he got my wallet and he ran around the house really proud. So then I had to duct tape that thing. Still worked. But, you know, the people at Walmart were really using the Sharpie that day. I mean, they were really scanning it and holding it up here. You don't do that. So, so what Matthew 7 saying is, if people's hearts aren't there, don't even waste your time. What Paul's expressing here is, this is just a waste of my time. There's better things to be done. So he leaves. They don't realize what you are giving them. Therefore, it's pointless. Now, my caution is for you um, to not just hit one stumbling block and then stop. Look, when, when, when we preach and when we live as God's representative, it's going to be hard. But just because we face opposition doesn't mean every opposition is the attitude of you, you vipers. It doesn't mean we just leave. Sometimes there's long suffering that's going to have to take place because sometimes they're just in stage two, which means I have more questions. So don't use this teaching today or this scripture today that whenever anyone opposes you just to quit. Maybe time after time after time, and you realize that there are hearts just not in it. But there does come a point where we have to trust God enough to move on, right? To trust God. And I think of the, um, the drug epidemic. And there's some people's hearts who are just not ready right now. But you know what we keep on doing is we keep on thinking we have to do more, 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 we have to do more. And sometimes us feeling like we have to do more is actually us saying, God, I feel like I'm God and can fix this. Sometimes what we have to do is just say, God, I trust you. I believe, I can't find it in this scripture specifically, but as I understand Paul, I believe that Paul trusts God enough and knows that God loves these people, that as he walks away, if God wants to deal with them, he will. We have to be willing to trust God to deal with people when their hearts aren't ready. So what do we do? We pray for them. And we pray for them. And we pray for them. And a lot of the times, the prayer is the best thing. But what's unique to me is is we understand that Paul loved to preach the Bible. He lo- well, he loved to preach about Jesus. So now Paul, who loves to preach, who is unashamed of the gospel, who's given his life to Christ, is now willing to say, 
I'm moving on. Romans uh, 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. So just because Paul loved to preach the gospel didn't mean that he was unwilling to move. And that's what he did. He drew the line when it came to people's seriousness. And if they were not willing to be decent, if their hearts were not um, postured with fertile soil, it seems to be that he was out. And I believe the same is for you and I. When we preach the gospel, when we love others, we must be willing to endure some hard times. It's kind of like my physical therapy. So I started, you recognize I have my sling off. I was so hopeful about physical therapy. I'm going to go in there, I'm going to do a few of these, and then I'm going to do a few of these, and just nice and slow. No. Look, I never stretch anyways. This guy was stretching me further than I've ever been stretched my whole life. And I'm like, if I cry right now, he's going to call me Priscilla. I mean, just time after, rail, rail, rail. And um, basically, my arm degrees are supposed to be at 150% right now, whatever that even means. I don't even know. He said, Joey, you're at 50. It healed too soon, and it healed in a bad position. So, guess what? Sometimes, um, sometimes it's going to be hard. We must be willing to endure some hard times to get the results that we want, right? I have to be willing to endure the hard time of physical therapy so that I can um, have my right arm back. Let's move to verse, um, verse 7. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justice, a worshiper of God, Crispus, the synagogue leader, and the entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. Praise God, right? Paul ends up being rejected. So, number two, right? And then he shares the gospel, again, about Jesus Christ. And a whole house comes to know him. I really think it's important for us to understand the, the three responses. People will repent. They will reject the word because they're not rejecting you because what does Scripture say? It's Christ in you that they're rejecting. So, they'll reject you, they'll repent, or they'll have more questions. So, he was just rejected, and immediately after that, we have people receiving the word. So he's not allowing his one bad experience in this specific chapter to keep him from the true message of who Jesus is. And within our culture and within who we are as human beings, we often allow one, ex one experience to really dictate how we interact next with whoever it may be, right? We're human, but Paul was a human. And if Paul was a human and I'm a human, then I want to be able to understand how the power of God was at work in his life so that he was willing to face the storm. Because you know what I'm really tired of is just no specific faces, no specific people within this church. But big K church, I'm tired of seeing a church without power. Our church in general, as a worldwide church, just seems powerless. And you're like, well, well, maybe there's this person, maybe there's that person, fine. But biblically speaking, many people are powerless. Most people are powerless, and few people walk in the true power of Jesus Christ. That's biblical. So maybe you're thinking about, well, this pastor does it right, or that pastor, or this person's really li living for Jesus. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about the big K church that seems 
people seem powerless and they do the same things over and over and over and over again and they come to church thinking that things are going to get different but then they walk out the same. And part of that is because their heart is never really postured to receive from God. What they're doing is they're just living into the next thing that they have to do. And then the next thing that they have to do. But the most important thing to do is to be willing to do whatever it takes, right, to be fully engaged. That was me being the human antenna. Even with my arm hurt, I was willing to do weird stuff last night. Will we be fully engaged so that the power of God can manifest in and through us? Will you do that in your hearts today? Would you say, would you be willing to say this? Right now in this moment, not politically, not just because I'm passionately speaking, but would you be willing to say, God, whatever you require of me today, whatever you have of me, I will do it. Whatever. There's power in that. There's power in surrendering to God and trusting him. There's not power in us bringing God along with every place that we go. In the sense of this, God, I'm leading the way you follow me. There's power in being a tent maker. But when we woke up this morning, who set the agenda? God or you? Thank you for being here. And I can only share these things because I myself know there's greater surrender by which God is calling me as a son of his, as a husband, as a leader, as a friend. There's greater surrender that God's asking me. And I wrestle with hesitancy of what I'm willing to give up and what I'm not. I need to surrender more. So Paul preached, and Crispus and all of his household heard the message, and they were saved. Power. Paul wasn't just writing off Jews, right? So though the Jews were abusive to him, he didn't write them off. He just wrote off those who didn't care. So I don't know about you guys, but to this point in Acts, it really seems like Paul is something special. There's this, like in my subconscious, subconscious sometimes I feel like um, I think that, that Paul, I put him in this place almost as a deity. He's in the Bible, he's really special. And I start to say, well, that was Paul. Well, that was Paul. I, I would say this. Jesus was 100% man, and uh, Jesus is 100% God. So sometimes it's hard for me to be like, speak this way about Jesus, because Jesus is just far above everything else. But when it comes to Paul, Paul's just 100% man. But in myself, when I make him a deity, then I say the things that he did, I can't. Right? Does anyone ever, ever feel that way when you read about Paul or when we go through this story? You're like, I can, participating church, I haven't said in like three months, we're a participating church. Does anyone ever feel that way? So if we are a Bible-believing church and we're in the scriptures, where do you get that from? Where do we get it from? How is that biblical? Paul isn't a deity. Paul's a man called by God who said yes to God, who's born again, and then uses the power of God in him. That's it. He's a new creation. We talked about that last week. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, anyone, anyone, not some people, but anyone who is in Christ the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Amen. I am no longer who I used to be. I'm actually a completely new creation. 
And those of you in here who've surrendered to Christ, who've repented of their sins, who believe that he's the only way to heaven, that he died and resurrected for the atonement of our sins, put your trust in him. You're a new creation. Completely new creation. So why are we not seeing that new creation in that power? Because I see a new creation of Paul at work throughout the whole book of Acts. I see it. So I believe the two most important things that the power of the gospel, the power of the new creation brings is this. The power, two, two main things of when we reference the power of the gospel is number one, the power to be saved from our sin. Amen? That's paramount when it comes to the power of the gospel. Jesus Christ has the power to overcome our sin. And then number two, the next greatest power that I believe that the gospel gives us, that Jesus Christ gives us, is the power to pick up our cross and die daily to him. And that's as far as we're going to go today when it talks about his power. We're not going to talk about healings and miracles, though those things happen and we love them. The two greatest things that the power of God gives you is, number one, the ability to be saved through him. And then number two, the ability to pick up your cross and die to him today. So when I leave here and I get disappointed and I get frustrated or I get mad or generationally, a generational curse is road rage. I'm what, yeah, you drive a Silverado. So if you drive a Silverado in the house, dad, you, you don't want to drive with him. I'll tell you what. So when I leave here and someone passes me and cuts me off, the power of Jesus Christ living in me as a new creation gives me the ability to not be offended, to not hold it against them, to not give them what they deserve. And look, it goes much deeper. The relationships that I walk in, the stress in my life, the trust in him. If I have to do this all on my own, then what did Jesus die for? If I have to muster up all of my own strength as a human being, then I'm going to fail miserably. But what about if I utilize that power of a new creation, Christ living in me, the hope of glory? Certainly there are more things than just those two. Paul utilized the power of both of these. God didn't make Paul a robot. Paul utilized the power of God in him as a new creation to say yes, no matter the request. And as I said before, if you are born again, you have the same. You're a new creation. Unfortunately, we have a generation of people who deny that power. 2 Timothy 3 suggests this. There's a generation of people who have a form of godliness, but they deny its power. I don't have time to have a form of godliness. And you want to know what? There's a lot of times I have a form of godliness, but I deny its power. I can say the cliche things like, God bless you, brother. God bless you, sister. But God's given me everything that I need. And I deny that power. So you know what that requires of me? To go to him and say, I'm sorry. To repent again and to turn from that sin. And to say, God, I no longer want to deny that power that you've given me. I don't want to just have a form of, of uh, godliness. I don't want to just, as a pastor, appear to have it all together. I don't want to just be able to sing every song on K-Love or Air One. I don't want to know every worship, just have a form because I know every worship song from 1980 or 70 because I like to go back sometimes. 
I don't want to just think because I can sing every song or because I give tithe and have a form of godliness that I'm really utilizing the power that God has given me. Because most of the time we have a generation that will not exhaust all the resources that God has given them before they give up. The last time you had a problem, whoever you is, did you go to the word before you gave up? Did you call your friend and ask for prayer? Did you worship God? Did you pray? Or did you try to figure it out yourself? I believe that Paul exercised what God had given him. So I share share that similar vein again this week because the scriptures are getting ready to show a side of Paul that we haven't seen yet or we haven't hit on yet. Paul seems scared. It seems as if he doesn't fully trust God in this next moment. But even though he doesn't fully trust God, he was still willing to say yes. And it wasn't about trust. He, just, he was just afraid of the moment. So verse 9. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you. Because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. So why did Paul, or sorry, why did God tell Paul to not be afraid? Why did he tell him to keep speaking? Why did he tell him um, to not be silent? Because he knew that Paul felt like he was at the point of wanting to be silent of being afraid of more beating and wanting people to keep his opinion to himself. God brought the encouragement. Paul was in a place where he might be afraid, um, might have been afraid of ministering, would lead to more censorship in his life, or he's going to be persecuted. But the fun thing about this is God didn't say people wouldn't plot to hurt you. People wouldn't plot to silence you. But what he said is, I'll have your back. So what was the remedy? Um, What did God ask of Paul? Just to trust that he's with him. I'm with you, Paul. Be obedient. And here, here was God's promise to Paul. I am with you. No one's going to attack you. And no one will harm you. What was the caveat? To be obedient. To not uh, quit speaking. To follow God. And Paul had to be willing to trust and be obedient. So you say, you know what? I would be willing to be more obedient if God would come speak to me the way that he spoke to Paul, right? Raise your hand. Come on, participating church. You're like... Well, that's the one thing that's different is Paul was human, but but God communicated with him differently. You know what? Just a question I would have. We could have great debates later. I wonder, well, I guess I don't wonder. He would always choose the living presence of God probably. But, so I'm not even going to ask the question. But here's what's unique is Paul didn't have the New Testament Bible. So we keep on lying to ourselves that if we would hear from God that we would be more willing to do something. And if we keep on living under that lie, then we're never going to do anything because God has commissioned us. We just don't want it. We don't want that commissioning. You want to know where the commissioning is? Right here. You want to see where God's speaking to you? Right here. If you want your mission from God and if you want to hear God's voice, go hear it right here. 
So if you want to keep on lying to yourself and say, God, if you would speak to me, then I would move, then you're never going to move anywhere, and you're going to keep on feeling empty, and you're going to keep on feeling lost, and you're going to keep on being offended, and you're going to keep on being distracted, and you're never going to move anywhere. God's speaking today, right now. And you know what the fun thing is, is God also speaks through the Holy Spirit. That's not what we're touching on today. We're touching on His Word. The Bible is important. And our inability to move after reading God's Word exposes our heart. Our inability to never read the Bible exposes our heart. It isn't, um, the exposing isn't to God or it isn't even to others. The exposing is to ourself. I can think to myself that I'm in a lot, uh, good shape and I can tell myself every time I look in the mirror that I have a six-pack. <laughs> Why are you laughing? I don't. But if I lie to myself, it is what it is. I'm not moving anywhere. Likewise, our inability to be exposed before God about what we're doing prevents us from moving forward. So what does it say? What does it say if, um, if I never read the Bible? That um, day after day, Week after week, month after month, year after year, I never open up the Word. See, the Word doesn't save you. Just reading the Word doesn't save you. But within the Word, it tells you about the one who can save you. It tells you about the necessary heart condition by which you need to receive who Jesus is. Just reading it doesn't save you. But, but God, I really love you and I really care about you, but I haven't read your love story. I haven't read about who you are and what you ask of me in a year, in a month, in six months. In a week. See, my inability to read the Bible exposes to me where my heart really is. That's a good thing, right? Just as the law exposes that we need a Savior, our inability to read the Bible also exposes where our heart is. How can you love someone? How can you care about someone? How can you be surrendered to someone? And not learn their opinion, not learn their values, not learn their system. So what I want to say to you with no judgment, no condemnation, but encouragement to you is if we're not in the word, then I believe that that exposes our heart towards God. And um, what that means is maybe we've convinced ourselves that we have six packs, right? Maybe we, we just... Go about life and that be it. We need to be in this word to hear from him. My point is if we are Christians and we never read, is what we think about ourselves really true? Do we really have that love? So to wrap up, the description of today. Paul is working with two people who set an example of what a marriage in ministry could look like. They seem to always be together and have a heart of service with not earthly elevation in mind. Paul's fleshly side shows itself as he has fears, but God promises to be with him and that no one will hurt him. And that was only momentary. That was during this season. <laughs> God told Paul to not give up on speaking and teaching. And guess what Paul did? He stayed with these people for a year and a half. 
So what's the prescription? I believe that this generation of people end up giving up too soon and never really use all the resources and power that God has given us. So my prescription to you is to exhaust all the resources God has given you before you call it quits. Pray, read, say yes to God somewhere this week. And what I mean by that is maybe God says pay for someone at McDonald's. Maybe God says encourage this person in Jesus. Maybe God says bring up Jesus' name this week. Maybe God says um, join a small group. Take a risk in obedience. Next two steps. Find areas in your life to repent this week. And then finally, repeat. Pray, read, be obedient, repent, repeat. Worship, honor God. Amen? You guys good? All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you that I can be all exposed to you and you knowing time after time after time after time after time after time all the times that we would sin. And yet, having that foreknowledge, Father, you, you loved us and you cared for us and you wanted us to walk in freedom with you for eternity that you would send your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. Father, help us be fully engaged with that. Help us be fully engaged with who you are and the things that you have for us. Father, help us walk with a contentment, but yet an urgency. And God, there's an understanding that I'll never be perfect on this side. But I do know when I reflect deep within my soul that there's more to this side. Help us surrender to you this week. And Father, we pray for every community represented that every community represented within this room would know you, um, would surrender to you, and um, would say yes to you, Father. And Father, we pray for all of our leaders today, local, at work, and national leaders. I pray that, that you, would, um, you would protect them, that you would guide them, that they would say yes to you, Father, and that they would lead us to be a God-fearing nation again. I ask that you would do whatever it takes. In Jesus' name, amen.